This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Welcome to episode 393 of the Yellow Wild Pod. I'm your host, Stefan Botsko, and today we will have a jam-packed episode. We will talk about Borussia Dortmund's controversial one loss away to Borussia Mönchengladbach. The first clean sheet outside of the DFB-Pokal, namely a 1-0 win in the Champions League against Sporting Lisbon. And we will discuss Saturday's 2-1 win against FC Augsburg, which sees Dortmund back in third place. For all that and more, joins me Matthias Zug. Hello, Matthias. How are you doing? I am doing well. I'm very busy right now with work, but I guess, you know, the reward I get for being on the road so much is now we have a million matches to talk about in 40 <laughs> minutes or so. Um, so, no, I'm doing well, Stefan. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing very well. Uh, apologies that uh, we, in fact, did not have a, uh, or I, I actually wanted to have two episodes, uh, but uh, neither of them happened due to uh, scheduling conflicts. I also have a lot of work right now and uh, yeah if I'm busy I can't make it obviously so uh, there's that but he here we are now and we have three games to talk about which were of uh, yeah I don't know uh, differing quality let's put it this way I think um, you know when we talk about the Gladbach game uh, the uh, worst news hit, uh, hit us all out of the blue kind of because uh, you know there was a whole week between the uh, game who was it against? Who did we play against before Gladbach? I totally forgot already. <laughs> but there was a, the week's break and then uh, all of a sudden you hear uh, as the lineup sheets are published that uh, both Royce and Haaland are out. Um, that's obviously not ideal and uh, Dortmund did then field a striking duo consisting of uh, Yusuf Amokoko and uh, Daniel Marlon. Matthias, what did you make of this game from Dortmund at the Borussia Park. Yeah, I mean, I actually had to uh, sit down this morning and rewatch key <sighs> moments and things like that because it's been a while. And let me tell you something, there weren't a lot of key moments. I mean, overall, you know, if Holland is out or Royce is out, that's one thing. If both are out, you can clearly see that there's just it's very difficult for Dortmund to create chances. Now we're going to talk about that in an Augsburg context uh, here in a little bit where creating the chances really wasn't the problem. It was putting them away, which was the bigger issue, but against uh, Gladbach, they're just, it. Oh God, it was such an uncomfortable game. Uh, Gladbach were very motivated. They were very up for it. Uh, Dortmund seemed a bit weary, uh, not leery, weary. It's different. Um, and you know, what hurt was Zacharias goal, which I will give him credit in the sense that he never gave up, but he got so, so lucky that Bellingham had that unlucky touch that really just played him in and Kobe once again, without a chance. And then after that, 
you know, the game was very physical. I felt that uh, the referee in question, Dennis Eitekin, pulled out the yellow cards on Dortmund a little early and a little fast. I'm thinking specifically of that first booking against Ahut, which of course had massive ramifications like 30 minutes later. And and that kind of killed the game. But that all being said, you know, Gladbach had a few good good opportunities, but nothing where I was like, oh my God, that was great. Statistically, they didn't like completely blow Dortmund away. And of course, Togan Azad near the end had a golden opportunity to get a draw. But I feel like the draw probably wouldn't have been quite quite right. I think Gladbach all in all deserved the win. But there is a a certain aftertaste with it because Dortmund just didn't seem like their plan. And this isn't even plan B. This is plan C. If you don't have Royce or Holland, uh, wasn't quite clicking and gelling with a um, new coach and so on. So it's not, that didn't really throw me too much. I was, I was kind of expecting that maybe a little bit more, but then of course you get uh, brought down to 10 men. And I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about that. <laughs> Um, so early that that just completely disjointed everything. Yeah, let's talk about uh, the uh, whole Dahoud sending off controversy in a minute. Um, just, I think my my initial thoughts on this game is um, first of all, Dortmund did switch to a back five. You know, we had uh, not only Hummels and Akanji, but Pongracic also. And interesting, which I thought was interesting, is that Pongracic played in the middle of all three center backs because usually that's where Hummels is fielded, but uh, this time it was different. And of course, uh, Meunier and Guerrero, the, the wingbacks, and uh, in midfield, you had Tahoud, Witzel, and Bellingham. So at least on paper, um, you know, taking out the two attackers, uh, Dortmund should have a, you know, somewhat solid defensive lineup, you know, uh, something that should be quite impenetrable considering how poorly Gladbach have played recently. And... Uh, this is semi-true, I guess, because Gladbach didn't really burn an attacking firework, but what they did do, and uh, that sort of uh, harkens a little bit back to how Dortmund played, is that Dortmund's build-up was extremely shoddy, and Gladbach pressed. I, I don't know if it's because uh, they are playing more and more like the Adi Hütter way, because uh, it's it's a way that uh, Eintracht Frankfurt have roughed up Dortmund uh, quite often, and it's uh, very efficient if you... Uh, or effective rather, if you press Dortmund high and, uh, you know, if if you maybe a tad late that you still, you know, uh, make sure you, you get some sort of contact in there. Um, you know, I, I think most of the aggression really came from uh, Gladbach and Dortmund, in, in my view, looked like in the old Favre days, to be honest. They were very passive and the build-up was very meh. And, of course, the, the massive problem... You know, up front, Dortmund had almost zero creativity. Most of it was hinging on Dahoud and Bellingham. And uh, I think Dahoud right now, you know, even with without the sending off, uh, he was struggling, uh, especially um, when, when it's a heated atmosphere. I think he sometimes sort of tries to do too many things and uh, fails with that quite uh, frequently. So he had a lot of poor giveaways, which were completely unnecessary. And uh, the moniker that Lars gave him, namely Lockdown Iniesta, is uh, very telling right now. Um, the other, the other big disappointment in my view, which I don't know if you want to 
even rated as that, but it's that the uh, partnership of Marlon and Mokoko was uh, completely hanging in the air. Uh, of course, Dortmund uh, with uh, Reus and Haaland usually press way better. Uh, that's for sure. But also, I think Rose said after the game that Dortmund were actually taken by surprise that Gladbach also whipped out a back five. And, uh, you know, pressing with two attacking players uh, is not that easy. And, uh, yeah, I, I feel like Dortmund didn't even really try to be aggressive and when they did it was mostly their front two and uh, that's doomed to fail so in in general i think the the approach to this game uh from dortmund was just terrible because they were too passive and uh, allowed gladbach uh, to do something to them which they should have done to gladbach to be honest so that's really what what annoyed me and uh, hence dortmund i think Throughout the entire game, they had not one single shot on target or something like that. And uh, yeah, the the attacking department was uh, pretty impotent throughout the entire game. And only later, very late in the game, uh, Hazard, you know, managed to get some stuff going. But um, yeah, it, it was a weird, weird game. And uh, I agree, the uh, Zakaria goal was very lucky. Um, Guerrero has a weird clearance, let's put it this way, with his sort of back heel. But... Uh, you know, clears it maybe a little bit too in the middle, but it's not like he can clear this in a controlled way. Maybe there's a better way to clear it. I don't know really, but uh, yeah. Then conceding this sort of goal in a game which looks like a typical scoreless draw, um, that hurts. And uh, yeah, losing Dahoud then and and going back or down to ten is uh, even more hurtful. And I think Marco Rose said it himself. Uh, they on the on the sideline had already drawn up a plan of uh, how to react in the second half and uh, with Dahoud being sent off uh, that went completely out of the window. So I'm uh, really intrigued to find out uh, how you um, uh, sort of see that decision from Aitakin to send Dahoud off, which wasn't for the foul but for his uh, disrespectful uh, wave of the hand afterward. Yeah. Um uh, you know, Aitken gave an explanation afterwards, saying that well, you know, he was already annoyed when Guerrero waved him off, like hand waved him. It's not like he got verbally abused or assaulted or pushed. I mean, we've seen that kind of stuff, and that is way over the top. But a hand wave when you're frustrated, um. So anyway, he said he, you know, he was frustrated or he was annoyed that Guerrero did it. And then when Dahoud did it, he basically picked Dahoud and showed him a second yellow and sent him off. And to me, yes, I am biased because I'm a Borussia Dortmund fan and I genuinely or generally am not on referees' sides because I feel like uh, too many of them drip of arrogance in the way they handle players. So, you know, it, it kind of goes both ways. I thought <laughs> I was that was, hor- I, I, I think that's, that's horseshit. To be honest, I think that's complete crap. Um, players frustrated. He waves his hands. He didn't flick him off. He didn't cuss him out. He's, he specifically said it's because he waved his hand like, Oh, you know, it was almost like, Ugh, whatever, you know, and we've all done that even in our lives towards other people. And um, it, it just, he said, I was, I was missing the certain level of respect. And it's, it, that's kind of one of those moments, like, that's fine. 
if you feel that way, if you have to work out your frustration in some form that you've chosen this this career path or this side career, because they all have a main job, this isn't their main job, um, that you're getting paid for actually quite well, and that when a player who is a little frustrated waves his hand, gets you to the point that you're like, you know what? I'm going to make an example out of you. I'm going to show you a second booking, and you can't tell me he didn't know that Dahoot was already on a yellow card. And so essentially this became a red card offense. He knew what he was doing. He knew he was going to send the player off. And that directly, massively alters the course of a game. And I think that's absolute crap. And Mako Hose, after the match, I thought, had a very reasoned response. He said, you know what, I kind of I understand that, and I do believe that too many referees get treated in a disrespectful manner by players. Granted, some refs kind of deserve it. Um, but then you need to do that every single time a player acts that way. And since that never happens, almost never, to then pick out this one situation where the player was already booked and you knew it, I just think is, um, I'm not going to say it's unfair because that's not strong enough of a word. It's kind of dumb. It's self-centered. And to make an example in a situation that by the end of the season, who knows, maybe that's the situation that then leads to Dortmund not getting a point or two or three points that hurts in terms of Champions League or a title. Now, of course, Dortmund had more time after that to score, but we all know what it then looks like when you go down to 10 men at that point. I just think it was absolutely foolish from Dennis Eitekin. He let his pride get in the way of his professional judgment, in my opinion. And again, it's not like Dahoot did what other players I've seen do. I've seen the Premier League. Good Lord, I've seen South American football. Um, where, you know, they get told to F off and they get cussed out and the refs don't do anything. Dahoot didn't do that. He waved him off. I mean, it's not that egregious. It's, it's, yeah, I, I, it, it upset me in the moment. It upsets, it's, it upsets me again now. <laughs> and they asked Mats Hummels and Mats Hummels first was like, you know, Dahoud has to be uh, a little calmer. This is kind of on him. And then they showed him what happened and he went, oh wait, no, 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 no. That ref is like totally over the top to give a red card for that is bull crap. Cause that's essentially what it amounts to. Yeah. So I've feelings on that and I have thoughts on that. So I'm going to say my thoughts first is that I think that Dahoud needs to be a little smarter you know um I feel like you oh, could yes. tell that Aitken was on a on a power trip and I I think I mean it looked very disrespectful you know the the way Dahoud flicked him off do I think that uh, this amounts to a, a second yellow just for that no I don't think so um I'll, I'll be honest and uh, my feelings <laughs> on this situation is also in the context of Bayern Munich playing away to Gladbach and Upamecano causing two clear penalties and the referees not picking it up. That's, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I may be in conspiracy land every now and then, but I firmly believe that there is a thing called the Bayern Bonus and I think we saw it there. And then uh, in a similar constellation where Dortmund then tra- traveled to the same stadium and then... Um, Dahoud being sent off 
for yeah let's let's call it the power trip uh by itakin i think is uh you know the the marginal details that can decide a title race you know who who knows if dortmund are actually strong enough to really push Bayern, but uh since it's close right now um i feel like uh you know there's at least this one point that Bayern has an advantage of Dortmund that uh, they shouldn't have and I also don't know if Dortmund maybe gotten away with the point or even uh, all three had they uh, stayed uh, all 11 men on, on the field uh, after the break because Dortmund did play a little bit better after the break with the in- introduction of uh, Torgen Hazard and of course I, I think he was subbed in for Pongracic and then uh, Ansgar Knauf came on for Mokoko and uh, later Nico Schulz, I think, and Marius Wolf, when they came on for Guerrero and Meunier, they really uh, brought some extra energy and the same for, for Rangier, I, I must admit. And uh, yeah, it, it was it was uh, not, not the greatest game by Dortmund, uh, not by any stretch. And uh, in, in many ways, you can be really disappointed about this game. I mean, uh, I, I think the most disappointing moment was uh, when Hazard had this beautiful free kick and Witzel blocked it. So, um, yeah, but, but these are sort of my, my thoughts that, um, and, and feelings really that, uh, I, I can totally understand that, uh, Isaacin gives that second yellow, uh, but then, you know, it need it needs to happen more often, right? I, I don't think, uh, you're really changing the collective behavior of soccer players, uh, with one red card this sporadically. You know, it needs to happen more often, and especially if uh, a referee like Itakin, who I usually really highly um, does this, it's it's a little bit annoying because he is a referee that usually manages a lot with his communication and does not, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, show a lot of bookings, you know, especially when uh, he is... Uh, surrounded by a pack of Bayern players complaining to him, you know, they're not a lot of yellow cards than just shown for complaining. And I think even Hummels got a got a yellow card for complaining there when Dahoud was sent off, you know. And uh, you said that he knew that Dahoud was a, on, a, on a yellow card. Uh, I'll be honest, I'm not entirely sure he was. That was the only f- feeling I had when I watched it live that maybe... Uh, it was sort of an impulse booking, and then only when he looked at this uh, little card, he saw that uh, Dawood already had a yellow, and then uh, had to send him off. I don't know. Uh, that's that just makes it even worse. Yeah, that makes it even worse. Yeah, that would make it worse because you you're, should you're not forget who you. Yeah, exactly. But like, this is do how your it fucking job. You know, I mean, this is. I'm sorry. Do your fucking job right, or do something different. Especially because if you're speaking about it at a high, high level. I mean, we don't need NBA level refereeing in the Bundesliga. That would be the worst thing that ever happens. Um, you know, and, and that type of just up and downness. But like you said, the Bayern bonus lives and breathes or big team bonus. Let's call it the, the big club bonus. Yeah, I uh, like Bayern bonus it's, better. It's catchier. I know it's it's, it's catchier. Also, the if, Bayern I, I mean, Dortmund do get a couple of calls here and there. Let's be honest. Of course, Dortmund of have, course. Have they have disadvantage every now and then too. But nothing but Bach. No, 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 no. And, and I just felt like the tone that Itakin had early on looking at some of the bookings that he threw Dortmund's way, I was like, those, those are a little overzealous. And I'm thinking specifically of Dahoud's first booking. I'm like, it's a foul. That was a foul. It was a free kick. But a booking, that one seemed like it almost, it felt, this is just conspiracy land. <laughs> that's what we do. That's what we don't get paid for. 
um, <laughs> is that he came out like, I'm going to prove a point. I don't like Borussia Dortmund and every little thing I'm going to go after. And But then when, um, you know, after Dahoud sending off, then it was, I forget uh, the name of the Gladbach player who after that got booked. That was also a little bit softer. It's almost, you know, refs do that, admittedly, that they yeah, will... Nets. Yeah, that they will then maybe try to compensate. But the only way you could have compensated is if you would have sent him off <laughs> at that point, you know. Um, and and like you said, it, it's like he was trying to prove a point. And I totally agree with you that Dahoud needs to be smarter in that situation. You know, you kind of get a sense if a ref is... I'm not going to say blowing against you, but you've got to have that understanding and you're a professional in Dahoud. This isn't his first season. He's playing for a while. And you can kind of sense if a ref is not necessarily on your side. I know they're not supposed to, but I think you you know exactly what I'm getting at here. Yes. Um, and Dahoud just didn't. And that's where a player, a player like Matumas has a little bit more Fingerspitzengefühl, as we say in German, like he he understands it maybe a little bit more. <laughs> well, he got booked himself, um, so no, I know. I Although, well, see, that was the in thing. The summary when, when, doesn't say that he got booked, so maybe I I no. just remember it wrong. Um, no, I mean, I thought he did get booked, but I thought he got booked for a foul. Um, I don't know. I I need I, I need to look it up. No, that was right now that was SV sorry. Rebel, maybe. I'm, I got my matches. Known. I got my matches mixed up in my head. The <laughs> booking for the foul was against Sporting. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> Too many games to review in one episode. Anyway, so let me just pull all that back. No, in, in general, I think Itakin handled it very incorrectly, and it it could have ramifications for Dortmund throughout the season by the end of it. Yeah, I mean the. Maybe it will even itself out over the season that Dortmund get away with something, you know, where they should have had a second yellow. Maybe like Lars Stindl, for example, in in this game. I think Stindl would have uh, was a prime candidate for a second booking because he, when he was already on a yellow, had a couple of more pretty harsh fouls. And it's also weird that it was a Brill Embolo who just clattered into Hummels. That to me was also a booking. You know, it, it was a weird refereeing performance because. On the one hand, you book a player for uh, waving you off. On the other hand, you let the uh, uh, players re play really rough. So, um, yeah, it was a it was a weird day by Aitken. But uh, at the same time, um, I think Dortmund really need to do better, even if they're without Reus and Haaland, because that attacking output was close. Well, it was pretty zilch until Hazard stepped it up later, and that was sort of when Gladbach got a little tired. Um, and and maybe even complacent, uh, but yeah, it's. I guess we can commend Dortmund for not conceding once they were down to ten. And uh, to me, it didn't really feel like Dortmund were down a man for most part of the game. So these are maybe a couple of pros, but uh, otherwise, um, this is really a game to forget, to be honest. So uh, why don't we just move on to the next one? Because uh, happier times. <laughs> Um, yes, much. Though not in the eighth minute, because that's uh, when uh, Modahut picked up an injury, and he had a uh, bad week. Yeah, the, he had a terrible week, you know, performance-wise, and then uh, this this injury. I, I think it's a knee, uh, knee ligament thing, you know, where he overstretched his knee. That's what happened. He was a bit lucky that nothing tore, but uh, yeah, 
other than that, I mean, the, the good news is he was replaced by Julian Brandt in this game, and I thought that Julian Brandt, after he came on, played a really terrific game. Um, so that's already a, a massive positive, and of course that uh, Dortmund finally picked up their first clean sheet uh, after against, I don't even remember who the opponent was in the first round of the cup, but uh, that hardly counts. Uh, they still are searching for the clean sheet in the Bundesliga, but at least in the Champions League they got one, and I think that's pretty important, especially when you only win by one goal. Um, uh, yeah, so the those are like the main takeaways, uh, plus that, of course, Daniel Malen finally scored his first one. Um, and otherwise, you, you know, we you teased Dortmund's wastefulness in the sort of scoring, and this time they scored three goals that were ruled offside and they had seven offsides in total. I think in, in this game, uh, they just got trapped too many times by uh, Sporting and had a little terrible timing in, in that regard uh, because those calls were semi-close, I guess. But uh, Matthias, what are you taking away from, from this game? Those uh, very important three points that keeps them uh, level with Ajax who are pulling away on goal difference. Yeah, I mean, obviously the head-to-head -head against Ajax will be the, the group decider, in my opinion. Um, my takeaway from this one was Sporting came to play Dortmund and try not to lose, uh, which I feel like they they didn't really trouble Dortmund much. Yes, they had that one corner right at the end of the match, 91st minute, which... I hate set pieces after the 90th minute. It's just <laughs> like, oh, God. Um, where yeah, they was put wide. Where were it was wide, but still, you know, they connected uh, with the header. They're, it's telling that the most dangerous player for a sporting on the night was Sebastian Cuates. Um, and when a defender is one of your most dangerous players, then that says a lot, in my opinion. I think they were just trying to not lose um, which is always difficult then when you do go behind to try to switch that up and, and play on the front foot. But I don't feel like they really tried too hard. I can't think of much of any real threat to Dortmund that they posed. And one of the notes I wrote was multiple times was offside, another offside. Oh, there's another offside. And it was offside fest. And Sporting had a very good, very disciplined offside trap that uh, Marco Reus and Daniel Malen were too eager to just run into over and over and over again. And yeah, there were some marginal calls, but there were some where it was like, that's pretty far offside. And so the, the timing seemed a little bit off. But overall, I wasn't really nervous in the game. Um, I felt Dalton wasn't overly nervous. They were pretty comfortable overall. Again, that's where the homeless booking came in for the foul um but no overall i there's not really a lot where i look at that match and go wow that was a a champions league night for the ages it was a group stage match that dortmund won one nil got three points very important three points and now we move on it was kind of it wasn't overly thrilling but i feel like dortmund weren't overly challenged too many times sporting were good defensively overall pretty solid but yeah, it was kind of a yeah, it, a, a a good win that Dortmund needed, and that's really all I have to say there. No, yeah, that's exactly what it was, really. I mean, it was a very professional performance. Uh, 
what I criticize Dortmund for doing against or not doing against Gladbach, they did pretty well against Sporting, uh, is that they pressed a little bit better. Uh, they were uh, not letting Sporting have much of the ball, to be honest. And I think they had like 59% of possession and they were very comfortable when they had the ball and pinging it around. Um, Sporting, on, their, on, on the other hand, I think they would, didn't really try to bother Dortmund too much. You know, many times this game was sort of at a still stand and uh, it felt to me like Sporting were very comfortable uh, not having the ball and just staying back. They were not really that much on the front foot or trying to uh, cause too much chaos, which had Dortmund, to be honest. And uh, I mean, the, the, the best thing minus the clean sheet really is uh, the way Dortmund scored their their goal. Uh, I think previously Marlon ha- had a tap-in after missing a couple of chances, uh, even though it was offside. I-, I feel like just that he physically saw that the ball can move into the net helped. And um, the entire build-up of the goal in the 37th minute was just fantastic. You know, the, uh, the-, the pass by Akanji to Bellingham and the way Bellingham stops the ball with his left foot and then, you know, turns around and, and shoots or passes it rather immediately into the path of uh, Marlon, who read that uh, entire situation really well um, and, and gets an extra step ahead of the of the defender. Um, it, it's just a beautiful uh, creation. And then the right-footed finish really into the, you know, perfectly into the far corner, uh, also a very low shot so the goalkeeper can get to it. Um, to me, those are one of my favorite goals, and uh, you know, it's almost a throwback to you know the Shinji Kagawa days because that's how he uh, created a lot of assists, like Bellingham did there. And uh, yeah, I just appreciate uh, how uh, good Jude Bellingham is becoming. You know, creating an assist like this is not that easy. You know, to have this free flowing and to be this precise. You know, I have the balance uh, and, of course, you receive the ball from one end of the field and then know exactly where to put it right away as you do a 180 almost. Or So that that's pretty that's pretty impressive to me. And, uh, yeah, it's really imp- important that uh, Marlon broke his duck. And, uh, you know, it was a very important goal. I wish he had to start scoring a little sooner, but uh, I'll take it, to be honest. That was a really well-crafted goal and uh, Dortmund then managing to bring this one home uh, with... Uh, once again, <laughs> the close of Marius Wolf later on, and uh, Nico Schulz came on, Rainier came on. So, you know, considering that Dortmund had to make a early substitution due to injury, um, it, it's it's just a bit of a patchwork right now. And so, if they are getting results, uh, that's all that matters. So that's pretty much all I can say on this game. You know, Dortmund move on, and uh, I think they play Ajax next. So that should be. A massive game after the international break and I'm sort of looking forward to it for the spectacle but I also feel like uh, Ajax are a very strong side and I'm a bit fearing them so uh, anyway uh, let's let's just move on Matthias if you don't mind uh, unless you have any final thoughts on this game. No I mean I echo your thoughts on that goal I mean think about it from the build-up all the way from the back to going to the net I believe I counted a total of five touches so that's pretty efficient. Yeah, it is. And then, of course, Dortmund have this really cool 2-1-1 against Augsburg where Dortmund managed to shut out Kali Jury. Isn't that amazing? Uh, 
I yeah, I, every I set expected piece, this to go like, wrong ugh. at some point, but it just didn't. <laughs> no, no, I mean it's and you know there was some debate afterwards. You know, some people were like, oh, that one didn't play that well. I I see it completely differently because this is the kind of match where we've seen Dawn in years past lose. You know, a match that they completely dominated statistically in goal scoring opportunities and so on. And not only did they dominate, not only did they win, and I'm not going to say come from behind because it was an equalizer that they quote unquote came back from, but with Dolman over the last few years, it almost felt like they came from behind (laughs) and uh, they never gave up. I mean, they kept on going and going. And I'd say the second half after they had conceded the equalizer, Dolman played even better than in the first half when it almost felt like they were still a little tired it was like the, that midweek hangover uh, was stuck on them. And Julian Brandt had a really good game. And, of course, accentuated that with a goal. And, winning I mean, goal. if we look at it... Huh? Winning yeah. goal. Winning just, goal, yes. Not just yeah, any yeah. goal, it's the winning just goal. The winning goal. But if we look at, you know, just pure statistics. You know, Dortmund outshot Augsburg 20-6. to Dortmund played 644 passes, Augsburg 258. In those 258 passes, Augsburg misplaced 106. Of the 644 passes from Dortmund, they they misplaced 101. So, I mean, Augsburg's pass uh, percentage was 59%, which is pitiful. So, you know, you're, saying, wanna... you're saying they, they had far fewer, like almost half or more than half fewer passes and still misplaced a total yes. more in the total? more. Yeah, yeah, and Dortmund had over 70% possession and even one more um, uh, tackles. So it was it was a typical match against Augsburg who wanted to defend deep, play robust. I mean, they fouled Dortmund 16 times. Um, they played very hard. Uh, Dortmund, you know, I mean, you can see it even by Dortmund getting seven corners to Augsburg's three, you know, that kind of, they were pushed back a lot. Dortmund had a lot of the position possession, I thought played overall. It was a sluggish start, but given their reaction, even after, uh, conceding a, also one of those goals where it's like, of course, you know, it hit the, it hit the frame and then kind of hit the goalkeeper's back. And then there was a, player from Augsburg there where you missed missed a deflection by Hummels it got deflected onto the frame then from the flame deflected to the goalkeeper and that deflected right into the path of uh, who was it Zakiri so uh, yeah very very unlucky I mean um, the the giveaway itself I think it was Bellingham who tried to sort of chest it to Witzel and he sort of squandered it you know general point I thought that Witzel did not have a really good game and uh, that giveaway, yeah, was very unfortunate to, uh, I think, was it Anne Meyer who then played in the number 10 spot? Yes. I think it was. Yep. Um, that's obviously also a little bit um, clumsy and uh, should not happen and usually doesn't happen to a player like Witzel, but in this instance it did. And uh, yeah, I think Augsburg needed all the luck in the world to even score this goal. So even if the initial loss of possession is uh not great you know dangerous position um yeah it it just dumb luck that's that's to me what it boils down to you know there's not that much more to analyze other than that Dortmund maybe should position themselves a little bit more uh spread out because I felt like they were very close to each other in the middle of the field 
and it, it showed. But, I, you know, we, we, we can maybe talk about this right now because uh, I felt with the inst- introduction of Toma, uh, 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 with the introduction of Hazard for the injured Meunier, and I think Meunier had a terrible game also just because the knee was bothering him, like... Uh, a lot of things that usually come off from Meunier this season <laughs> uh, didn't. And uh, yeah, I think he just uh, was in too much pain and just couldn't play really himself. Uh, but once Hazard came back, um, I think Dortmund just played a little bit more of the wings. And that uh, really had them tremendously because Augsburg, I think their number one goal was to just shut down the middle. And uh, Dortmund were nevertheless still playing through the middle of throughout the most part of the first half and which is why minus the uh, audacious penalty goal by Guerrero uh, they did not create too many chances but uh, you know good on Marlon again because uh, you know he he drew that foul and uh, it was a clear penalty I don't think we need to discuss anything on that and uh, yeah I wasn't quite sure who would take the responsibility that the, but it you know being Guerrero playing I think it was his first penalty goal uh, for Dortmund uh Finishing this in in that kind of style was uh, really kind of cool, but you know if the goalkeeper guesses this one right, uh, it's you know a, a safe that where the keeper catches the ball actually. Um, so yeah, it was a very interesting uh, game from Dortmund because I thought they improved uh, quite okay with the uh, substitutions, but at the same time the substitutions are. Also quite boring overall. I mean, Emre Can replacing Witzel in the 66th minute, I think, had dr- dramatically because Witzel, as I said before, had a really terrible game and I thought he was uh, too easily closed down and, and pressed and, uh, you know, he felt very uncomfortable on the ball and his tacklings uh, that he wanted to make when it was his job to close down opponents were often... Uh, just a couple of steps behind. I don't know. To me, he just looked tired and out of steam. And uh, I was very thankful when Emre Can finally came back from injury and uh, right away brought an entirely different level of energy. But, uh, you know, Dortmund had to close this game out with uh, Guerrero as a right back and Schulz as a left back. And we haven't even discussed that uh, Marius Wolf, of all people, started this game. So, um, you know, without Haaland and and all these things, I, I think... We can be really lucky right now that Dortmund are one point away from the top of the table, uh, given their, I think, level on points with Freiburg and whatnot. But uh, this season could have uh, been a much worse outcome given all the injuries and uh, the reshuffling that Dortmund have to do right now. Oh, completely. Um, You know, the one thing from two things. I'm glad you mentioned Freiburg. I think we have to now reanalyze that loss against Freiburg, maybe in a different light because they've had a fantastic start to the season. But beyond that, the, the one negative takeaway I have from this game, I mean, like you said, that, that goal from Augsburg sometimes shit happens, you know, it just, it can happen. My big negative is, is so wasteful. There's so many chances. I mean, Dortmund could Wasn't have put great four or five to all the time, though? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's it's true. I mean, we've had matches against teams specifically like Augsburg where then Dortmund would have maybe like two more shots after that. I mean, Marco Reus alone should have scored two goals. Um, Marius Wolf almost had a tap-in. Uh, if not for a, a last-ditch clearance there against him. And I have to say, I'm actually kind of surprised. So far, Marius Wolf 
hasn't been that bad. I mean, he's, I'm, you know, I mean, he's not like standout amazing, but he's played solid. He's added some energy. He's obviously not a player that's going to be beaten for pace very often. And with the absence of Holland, you know, Mann could shine a little bit more. I really like him. I think he he will be a fantastic player for Dortmund. Um, and getting Marco Reus back, though, was huge uh, yeah. for this match, uh, especially against a team like Augsburg, who, you know, like to shithouse and sit deep and not really play and play that garbage, low block bullshit football that I just love so damn much. <laughs> um, that that coward football. It just, uh, this this was, it was great. And Marco Reus had a good game. He just should have scored. Um, but again, uh, I'm glad that Julian Brandt was the one who scored the winning goal because this is a few ye- weeks ago, you and I were a little harsh with Julian. And I wouldn't say harsh. I think we were correct in our assessment of, of his situation. No, and, I, I was just pissed that he was injured already after yes, like 90 minutes against Leverkusen. I know. But... You know, he played well against Sporting and he played very well against Augsburg and long may it continue because, you know, we've got the international break. And if I read correctly, Holland is Holland is going to Norway for for Norway's matches. And that that makes me very, very nervous that the Norwegians will play him because I, I it's thought Holland. he wasn't going. Sir, has there been a new development thought- that I've missed? I thought I read it or I may have misread it. I'm not <laughs> sure. I know it was up for debate just yesterday. So I, I think he didn't go, but you know, yeah. uh, it, that, well, I'm if he doesn't go, so then I prepared. stand corrected. Then I, then I stand corrected and then, then I'm fine with it. And I think he can use the break and hopefully he comes back then after that, because, you know, we're getting into that, you know, every time is crunch time, but we're getting into that time of year where over the last two seasons specifically, like that that November-December crunch where Dortmund just... I mean, last season, that's where the season almost completely fell apart. And, I mean, that's when Favre got sacked and things had to change for Dortmund. So hopefully he comes back and he's rested and ready to go for, you know, the dark, rainy time of the year. Yeah, no, I I agree, and I think in in Brand's case, it's really good that after the injury, he hit the ground running. I think even against Sporting, he was obviously not to play this soon because of the uh, the hood injury. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's it's great, but uh, but still, I feel like he could have been at an even better level, and I feel like if he brings that sort of intensity uh, against Gladbach. Um, then uh, you know it, it would have been also been a much better uh, outcome for Dortmund because that was sort of lacking. I mean, yes, he against Augsburg he did look a bit tired in the final ten minutes or so, but uh, that's Julian Brandt, sort of to be expected. It's uh, not ideal, but uh, it is what it is. And um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 also. You know, overall a bit weird with the international break because there are a lot of different information floating around. First of all, I thought it was kind of weird that uh, the news got broken by Switzerland that uh, Gregor Kobel was injured and didn't attend the national team. Usually you would assume that something like this was going to be communicated by the club first. Um, But I think he has just some sort of ligament irritation in his knee and he should be good to go uh, against Mainz. Uh, Something with his knee and his toe, I think. 
Um, so he's just a little banged up. And uh, yeah, uh, I think Belgium yesterday tweeted that uh, Thomas Meunier uh, has left the squad. Um, so yeah, I don't know. He is nursing a knee injury. You know, the same with uh, Mats Hummels, obviously, who has uh, his Pantella tendon issues. So um, everything is uh, very touch and go with this Dortmund team. So I'm not taking much for granted, to be honest. But uh, be that as it may, I'm just very glad that they got it done against Augsburg. And uh, even with the uh, yeah patchwork lineup that uh, was on the field for Dortmund at the very end of the game, I I thought it was actually kind of comfortable. I don't really recall any large or big chances that that uh, Augsburg had, even though they brought on Grigoric, Niederlechner, you know, Zarensen Badze and uh, Lasse Günther. So they they had uh, they had some. Uh, sort of attacking uh, subs there, but uh, it, it didn't really um, help them. I, I think the, the last chance they actually had was uh, Ries Oxford, which was a header, and uh, that was in the 65th minute, and from then on, uh, they didn't even have a shot that was blocked or off target or anything. So, um, yeah, obviously it's unfortunate that uh, both Hazard and Royce hit the woodwork, especially Hazard's ch- chance, which was a one against one situation against the keeper that should have been buried but you know we'll take it we really just take it because uh those are very important three points and Dortmunds have a habit of laying an egg against Augsburg even though less so at home but nevertheless and of course uh you know if you look around uh you know we we, I, I, I called Dortmund the slump buses for Gladbach, but uh, that slump really was busted because then they turn around and beat uh, VfL Wolfsburg, which in, in a way also helps out Dortmund and the entire freaking Bundesliga, to be honest. And of course, we had uh, Eintracht Frankfurt uh, winning at the Allianz Arena. So uh, I think the only unbeaten team left in the Bundesliga right now is SC Freiburg. <laughs> so there you go. And uh, if you want to see a difference between uh, Freiburg and Dortmund, then just look at how many goals Freiburg have conceded. Uh, after seven match days, match days, which is five, you know, Bayern have conceded seven, Leverkusen have conceded seven, Wolfsburg have conceded eight, and then you see Dortmund sticking out there like a Thor sum with uh, 13 goals conceded. And uh, I think Dortmund's defensive prowess has uh, improved a little bit over the last weeks, but uh, it's still not there where we want it to be. At least they're not averaging two goals against uh, right now, you know, clean sheet against Sporting and just one conceded against each Gladbach and Augsburg. I think that's that's a positive development, but uh, nevertheless, I, I think uh, it, it can be better. I don't know. What are your thoughts? I, I have to agree. Um, the... <sighs> you know, if I, I kind of look at the... It, it's a weird... It's a weird start to the season... I feel overall for Borussia Dortmund because have they even fielded an entire healthy starting 11? No. No. They have not. And, you know, yeah, that's that's the main thing. That's my concern. I mean, is, is this is this going to be the season of that's never going to happen? Um, I think it, it always seems to be something. Because of of the Euros and the shortened uh, summer break and uh, players, you know, just being banked up left, right, and center, I I think it it will be like that for a very long time. Uh, 
that's that's my assumption. Maybe in the second half of the season things change. I don't know. But, uh, you know, injury, sometimes you just also have very bad luck. Let's be real. And, um, you know, I'm also very intrigued to see how, how form varies because in in my books going into the season and the first games, Dahoud was uh, one of the first names in that starting lineup. You know, he was in, in incredible form, but he just co- could not conserve that. And right now uh, I see Julian Brandt ahead of him, for example, if, if Brandt plays like this. And uh, Emre Can, I see ahead of uh, Axel Witzel, you know, if if uh, this sort of form continues. So um, the good news is, I guess, that Dortmund have a lot of uh, players that are on a similar level where form sort of dictates who right now is even in the best 11, quote unquote. But, uh, you know, it, it still would be nice if some depth returns. We haven't, I think, not mentioned uh, Giorena yet, but he, of course, was out for the entire period of in- between the international breaks. So I'm really hoping that he'll be back uh, for the Mainz game too. And, uh, of course, Torgen Hazard, when, his, when he was reintroduced, sort of uh, immediately showed how much Dortmund have been missing him. And, of course... Uh, should we even talk about the dependency on uh, Erling Haaland? I, I I think he's such a, a exceptional player that it's of of course don't want to depend on him. <laughs> Every team in the world would. Oh yeah, so, I mean Bayern take Lewandowski out of Bayern. You yeah, know, I mean it's yeah they'll still win games without him. Dortmund have won games without um, Haaland. Two on the bounce now. But it's a completely different Bayern without Lewandowski. And it's a completely different Dortmund without Erling Haaland. Why? Or before that, Obama Young and, and Lewandowski. Because these are transformational, generational players. I mean, this is, you know, this is not like, no offense, but it's not like, you know, your best striker is uh, Florian Niederlechner. You know, in the sense of, yeah, he's a decent lower half Bundesliga player. Now, Erling Haaland is a world-class generational talent of a player. And him being out will, of course, be missed. And that's... I. You can say it's an issue, but... Like, what are you going to do? Are you going to try to find someone that's like one, just one bare step behind Haaland and go like, hey, by the way, you're going to play if he gets hurt, which doesn't happen that often. So, you know, good luck with that. Well, I mean, Um, we we could discuss adding maybe someone like, I I don't know, sort of an old veteran player. I mean, Bayern do have a backup. Sandro Wagner? Yeah, they have Chupomoteng. I don't know about Sandro Wagner. But you you know what I mean. There 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 are players that you could sign on like a one year deal or so um, that could maybe help out. But there's not really a name that springs to mind right now uh, where you have a little bit more experience than uh, Mukoko, who obviously, as you saw against Gladbach, is is still very young and and very raw. And uh, you know he Mukoko needs to be in a team that's functioning around him but if the the team around him dysfunctions you can't really rely on him to pull it out of the bag uh let's put it this way and um maybe there are some other strikers that give uh, a little bit more structure and uh, have you know just the, the experience even if they're not the uh, fastest anymore just by positional play and whatnot to to uh cause a little bit more damage 
I think there is a discussion to be had about this sort of player type, say the uh, uh, the <laughs> Berbatovs and Julian Schiebers of the world, um, whether Dortmund would have uh, such a squad player. But uh, right now with COVID and the, finan uh, the financial situation and, of course, uh, the very bloated, uh, you know, uh, salary that Dortmund have, you know, don't forget they're still playing Roman Bürki to don't do anything really. Um, sort of restricts that right now. But uh, in general, it's a discussion to be had. And of course, uh, we will discuss, uh, I think, uh, for a very long time uh, before the season ends, who actually will replace Haaland at the end of the season if he leaves. But uh, not yeah, right that's, now. Yeah, that's, that's the bigger issue, obviously, yeah, the, yeah. The, <laughs> the next step after that. I'm sure that's something that, that keeps Michael Zorc up at night at this point. Because... I mean, he had Lewandowski, then, you know, Obama Young, who actually came in as a right winger, and who would have known he would have turned into the striker he did for Dortmund. <laughs> and, and Yeah, I love how um, you just uh, skipped over the entire Immobile gate. Yeah, well, see, the problem with Chiro Immobile is, you look at him in Lazio, he's a transformational striker. You know, it just was not a good fit. I was actually thinking about that, uh, watching Jonas Hofmann, um, you know, watching the Gladbach match back. And I'm like, he just wasn't a good fit for Dortmund at the time, but he's a good player at Gladbach. Immobile was not a good fit for Dortmund at the time. And Immobile admits that, but he's transformational for uh, for Lazio. But he's not that great for Italy. Uh, so it, it, it really depends on also the player you get in the system. But I mean, you, you've really gone from that lewandowski Aubameyang, holland and, you know, what, what's what's next? I mean, where Dortmund had that player, they had Ramos, uh, obviously, in that right. period of Lewandowski, Aubameyang, I believe, right in there. Um, and he came in and he got a couple of goal, goals here and there. For me, the bigger issue was seen in the Gladbach match when you not only were missing Holland, but also Marco Reus. You, <laughs> also you players, can't really have hard both. to replace. And they were also yes. missing Brandt and yes. Hazard wasn't really entirely yep. fit too. Exactly. So, and and Reyna was also out, you know. So yep. if you say you're missing Marco Reus and Haaland, yes, that's correct. But it's not only those who were missing against Gladbach. Yeah, I mean, you can't be, you can't compensate for basically your entire creative attacking half of your team. No. Uh, by throwing in a teenager and a player that just got here, exactly. I think Don. I think Daniel Malin uh, will blossom into a major goal scoring threat with time. But granted, when he's paired up with Erling Haaland, that's a little hard because <laughs> Haaland's going to score the most ridiculous goals from the weirdest angles that no human aside from Zlatan Ibrahimovic can score. Um. So, but but thinking about who's next, we don't need to worry about that. We just need to worry about you know, who who can step up and score those goals. And that's why it's great to see Malin getting a goal, Brandt scoring a winning goal. And it was a good goal um, he scored, Brandt, and, you know, good first yeah. touch, you know, and yep. low corner again. You know, I like it. I, 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 I'm a really, I, I must say it, I'm a sucker for goals that are scored to, to any corner but a low shot. You know, I feel like they're very hard to save. Yeah, especially I mean, Daniel Malen, he passed it in there, and it's not like he he's it, like when Holland shoots, he wants to destroy the goal frame uh, with every shot. Is how it feels because he just has he, like Marco Reus. I mean, Marco Reus has a powerful shot, 
Um, whereas seeing a more finesse type shot and Brandt, there was power in there, but not, it was, it was more precision than power. And those, I agree with you. Those are just somehow so satisfying. It doesn't rip you out of your seat, you know, like a weird bicycle kick from God knows where, uh, or a half volley, but it, it, there's just some, something about it that, that adds more to the quality. Yeah, so yeah, it, it's kind of a weird season right now because Dortmund have dropped two games from the first seven, but at, at least they've they've won five. That's a big positive to me. You know, you could have had like uh, let's say three wins and two draws and two losses or something like that. Um, but uh, no, Dortmund uh, are right in the thick of it. But at the same time, you just feel how imperfect everything is. You know, the the defensive side of the game is is very iffy at times the set piece defending is still horrible um you you can sense uh what the new coach wants to do but uh, ever every so often there are situations where Dortmund just fall back into a pre-tessage era <laughs> uh, and and nothing really looks uh, co- cohesive and the way you want it and it's it's just there's so many processes going on at the same time and you just don't know in which direction the season will go. Because on the one hand, it, it all can fall apart very quickly and on the other hand, Dortmund can go on an epic streak um, just like they did at the end of uh, the previous season and uh, you you wouldn't blink twice and, and, and question it because there's so much quality in the side. So um, yeah, I really don't know how it's going to go next and then of course we have the, the big... Uh, <laughs> injury lottery with the international break going on you know Dortmund are pretty happy I guess that, that uh, neither Hummels uh, nor Brandt uh, nor Royce I think are, are traveling to, to the national team and I think same goes for Haaland if the information is correct and, and Kobel and whatnot but uh, yeah it's 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 a weird one and uh, you just hope that uh, there are not more muscle injuries piling up uh, as Dortmund will then take on mines but that's the game we will preview i think next thursday or so because we're already an hour in and uh, i really don't feel like talking about the mines game at all i feel like this no, was a good episode no. to look back at those three games put them all into context and then uh, tie a little bow around it and uh, get out of here <laughs> i will have to agree with you there so matthias uh, it's time for you to tell our listeners where to find you on the interwebs well, you can uh, read my uh, self-loathing, pessimistic tweets on <laughs> Twitter <laughs> at Matiasuk. Yeah, uh, you can follow me at Stefanbutsko, where uh, I think there will be more sixes tweets going forward because that season is starting. I'm not quite sure in what direction this will go, but it's it'll be interesting. Let's just put it this way. Um, otherwise, of course, uh, you can follow all of us at Yellow Warpod on Twitter and Facebook. And if you want to uh, contribute to this show financially, then go to patreon.com slash the yellow wall. If you want to subscribe, uh, do this wherever you get podcasts, as they say on the, in the TV commercials. But uh, yeah, if there's a way you want to subscribe, but it's not available to me, just sort of DM me at Twitter or shoot us an email at yellowwallpod at gmail.com. And uh, I'll try to remedy that situation. And of course, uh, if you feel so inclined, you can uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel where we just upload this podcast as well. If you're some of those people. And uh, other than that, uh, as always, thank you for listening and goodbye.